Happy Sabbath, Wawa Wawa Church. Uh, if you're happy and you know it, <laughs> thank you. I was actually going to say, notify your face. <laughs> if you have not shaken hands with someone next to you or at least given a smile away, please do that right now. We want to make sure you have been fellowshipped today. I'm always afraid to do that because they've got me on the clock, but uh, we'll see how we do this. There's a lot to be said and not a lot of time, so I'm going to go pretty fast. I talk really fast, that's what some people say. But if you want to get your amens in, get them ready. Amen. Or maybe praise the Lord's, or maybe, mm. <laughs> or ouch. I want to talk about standing. <clears throat> standing in the midst of conflict and confusion is not easy. Throughout history, world history, American history, black American history, biblical history, God has empowered men and women to stand against the forces of sin and of evil. The prophet Daniel was one of those people who took the risk to stand. You know, when babies are born, they lay, and then they learn to sit up, and then to crawl, and then to stand. After that, it's walking and running. And we're walking and running, looks like, all the rest of our life. But standing is a very important part and stage of the physical life of a child. And it is a very important stage in the spiritual life of a Christian, being able and willing to stand. Daniel's story is unique in Scripture. He was not a priest ministering in a sacred place. He was not a pulpit preacher affirmed by the fervent amens of his parishioners. He was not called to serve in the court of a Judean king, although he was of royal blood. His place of service was in the administration of one of the most prideful and self-serving rulers of antiquity. Among Christians, Daniel is known for his predictive prophecies God gave him in dreams and visions recorded in chapters 2 and 7 through 12 of the book of Daniel. But in Daniel's own time, he was known as an agent of truth and freedom. Truth and freedom during a period of political and social and spiritual and economic domination by a powerful leader named Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Chapters 1 through 3 gives us a psychosocial context that we barely contemplate when we read Daniel. You see, anytime there is great wealth, anytime there is great military power, anytime there is great political power, it has resulted in the loss of human and civil rights. The question is, 
What can and should God's people do when they are situated in the vortex of an immoral, social, spiritual, and political system? Daniel and his three companions in Babylon are a prime example of what can be done and maybe should be done. And so I invite you to pray with me as I share something I've entitled, Stand Like Daniel. Father God, we're here. Speak. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I've got three Snapchats for you today. Number one is found in Daniel chapter one. And if you have your Bibles or your electronic Bibles, pull those out. Daniel chapter one, verses eight through 12. Babylon, not unlike the United States of today, was full of idols. In this first test, Daniel and his friends are confronted with the idol of beauty and strength and intelligence. The powers that be conspired to change them from worshipers of God to worshipers of the king. We find wherever mankind is that there is a need to worship. Amen, somebody. People worship something, someone. The powers that be proposed to change everything about Daniel and his three friends. They changed their location. They were forcibly taken from Judea. They changed their status from royalty to enslavement. They changed their spiritual religious principles from the worship of Jehovah to idols. That is, they designed to do that. They designed to change their diet from certain things to really any old thing. And even they, they proposed to change and did change their names from God-honoring names to names honoring the Babylonian gods. At that time, might equaled right. The top dog, the alpha male ruled. But physical or mental prowess are not synonymous, synonymous with moral power. And from the viewpoint of the king, Daniel and his crew should have been thankful they had been chosen to serve the king. Other Jews didn't fare that well. The word on the street in the Jewish neighborhood was, take what they give you, don't rock the boat. If you speak up, you may mess it up for all of us. Daniel chapter 1 Verses 8 and following, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. If he sees your faces looking worse than the other young men of your age, then you will endanger my head before the king. You know, when somebody stands up, it affects other people around them. Amen, lights. <laughs> Somebody's going to be affected when people start standing up. 
there will be some people who will say amen and some people who will not say amen. Typically, we think this first text was, uh, test was about diet, but the real issue was whose authority do you choose to obey? Whose truth do you believe? And what are you willing to do personally and collectively to live out your own beliefs? Surprisingly, Daniel and the Hebrew boys, and they were really only teenagers, they defied the status quo when they requested a cultural and religious exemption. Hello, Adventist. <laughs> From dietary practice and procedures of the realm. They set the precedent that I call stand to stand like Daniel. Today, choice of dietary practice seems normal and practical, but not then. What these forced immigrants did in even questioning their diet was an affront, an affront to the wisdom and power and authority of Babylon. That is why the king steward feared for his life if the experiment failed. The powers that be will tell you that you must do certain things a certain way to be successful. It's usually their way. Don't buy it. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys tested mentally and physically sharper than the other trainees. But it wasn't just their diet. God answered their prayers. Their prayers for freedom to follow the dictates of their own heart. Snapchat number two talks about the idol of human wisdom. Daniel 2 records the confrontation of the idol of human wisdom. You know the story. This, the king had a terrible nightmare. But when he awoke, it was forgotten, deleted from his mind. But he knew that the dream had an important message, a message from the gods. And so he called his cabinet and asked them to recover the dream, like on your computer, and declare its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar was possibly bipolar. <laughs> Although he employed sorcerers, wise men, intelligent officers, and national security advisors, he did not really trust them. In the matter of his dream, he charged them with conspiracy against him when they could not deliver the dream and its interpretation. In a rage, he sentenced all his administration, including Daniel, to death. Now ask yourself, what good would it do to kill all the wise men? How would you solve then the riddle? Such an act would only intensify the belief that you tell the king only what he wants to hear or agree with. However, in this moment of crisis, a young man stands up. Daniel takes his stand. Was it a, a wild act of desperation or a courageous leap of faith? Don't you wish you could stand like Daniel? 
He asked for time to ascertain the dream. And then he promised, promised that he would reveal the dream and its interpretation. The pressure was now on Daniel alone. If he failed, it would be his life. He went back to his friends and he asked them to join him in prayer. Friends? Prayer? Friends? Prayer? When you're in a tight, you need some friends who can pray and who can get their prayer above the ceiling. Friends in prayer. He went back and they prayed. His prayer for wisdom could not have been his first heavenly petition. Later, we learned that he prayed three times a day. I can't help but believe that the experience of answered prayer in Daniel chapter 1 led to increased faith in Daniel chapter 2. And in this instance, he and his buddies prayed all night, and God gave him a vision, a vision with the dream and its interpretation. And so Daniel 2 and verse 27 28 reveals the courage and the boldness of a man who knows the true God. Before telling Nebuchadnezzar the dream, Daniel makes a stark uh, comparison and contrast between the limitations of the idol of human knowledge and the certainty of divine prophecy. Verse 27, Daniel answered before the king and said, and he must have said this with a smile, the secret which the king hath demanded Can neither the wise man, the enchanters, or the magicians, or the soothsayers show unto the king? (laughs) And then he says, but there's a God in heaven. Is there a God in your heaven? There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and he hath made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. After the interpretation, the king verbally acknowledges God as the God of gods and rewards Daniel and his companions with promotions. But it wasn't over. The third Snapchat deals with the idol of personality worship. Nebuchadnezzar's tweet about God being the God of gods was merely a knee-jerk reaction. We can clearly deduce this because of his actions in Daniel chapter 3 when he fully embraces the idol of personality worship. Neb, his name is too long, I'll call him Neb. Neb functioned under a delusion that many earthly rulers have embraced. He thought he was a god, or at the very least, he had been chosen by the gods to rule. He thought his thoughts were right. He thought his words were true. He thought his actions should be applauded and his commands obeyed. Some leaders today even feel that they have never made an error and therefore never have needed to ask forgiveness or repent of their words and actions. The image Neb 
set up on the plain of Dura was inspired, and it was a response to the image that God had given him in the dream of Daniel chapter 2. Influenced by unwise counselors, the king made the entire statue of gold, thereby signifying that his kingdom would endure and live forever, a clear contradiction of the biblical prophecy. God had given Nebuchadnezzar the dream of the great image so that he might understand the part he had to play in the history of the world. And for a time after this dream was interpreted, uh, Ellen White tells us that the fear of God was in his heart, but his heart was not cleansed from pride and self-exaltation. God's purpose and God's revelation was now made to serve for the glorification of human power. The story gets up front and personal when the king calls an international summit. Imagine it in your mind. An international summit to dedicate the image and to worship the government of Babylon and its leader himself. The plan was for the festivities to to climax with all the leaders bowing down and worshiping the idol of personality worship. Satan was seeking to thwart the divine purpose. Satan knows that pure truth is a mighty power to save, but also used to exalt self. And the projects of men, truth, becomes a mighty power for evil. Clear instructions and warnings were given to all. If anyone dared to disobey the pleasure of the king. And let's be clear. If any foreign king or ruler of antiquity could factually claim to rule under the direction of God, Nebuchadnezzar could be one of them. Jeremiah and Ezekiel told Israel that God would use Babylon to judge them for their evil way. It is likely that Nebuchadnezzar heard these stories during his military campaign. But this festival, its decree to bow down and worship, were instigated under satanic influence. Any ruler who threatens people with the loss of their lives, if they won't do and follow his will, that ruler is not of God. Neb summons the top political leaders of his worldwide kingdom to stand before the image and bow down in worship when the music started. And in case anyone failed to worship his image, they were to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So when the moment of truth came and the instruments played and the drums were played, Three Hebrew boys, Daniel's associates, refused to bow down. They decided to stand like Daniel against worshiping the idol. I can tell you, I'm proud of the three Hebrew boys. What about you? Wow. International Tribunal. ABC, NBC. Hello? Everybody is there. 
everyone bows down, but they continue standing. I don't think they were the only Jews that were there. Hmm. It is evident that they had been with Daniel. It is evident that Daniel's faith had become their faith. It is evident that their minds were not clouded by the idols of beauty and intelligence and, and, and coercive power and human wisdom and personality worship. They were totally sold out for God. The three Hebrew boys stood like Daniel and as expected, their stand was reported to the authorities by jealous adversaries, and they were summoned to stand before the king. This reminds me a little bit of something Martin Luther King and the SCLC taught their direct action, nonviolent civil rights protesters. They said, stand for what you believe, expect opposition, and be prepared to suffer the just and many times the unjust results of your actions. By the time Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually appeared before Nebuchadnezzar, he was in an apoplectic rage and fury. They, his favored and chosen Jewish immigrants, had defied and desecrated his ego before the whole world. And as a supposed act of mercy, he offered them another chance to change their behavior. Like many other rulers before him, Neb repeated the command and enumerated the consequences of failure to obey. He repeated the same phrases over and over again as if by repetition they became truth. Neb shows his true colors in Chapter 3, verse 15, when he says in the rhetorical question, who is the God that can deliver you from me? The Hebrews answered him in verses 16 to 18, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They said, Neb, we're not even thinking about this thing. <laughs> We've already settled it. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you've already decided what you're going to do, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. But if not, now that's a whole set of sermons. But if not, yeah, we're praying for stuff and we're thanking God and hoping God and, and we're claiming promises. But what if he doesn't answer it? At the time and the way, they answered that question too. But if not, say to your neighbor, but if not. <laughs> but if not. Let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Neb answers them with a tweet. Heat the furnace seven times. It was to be a trial by fire. Haven't you ever wondered why God allowed them to be thrown into the fire. 
Couldn't he have saved them somehow from, uh, from going through such an ordeal? But I suggest that the fire was not for the Hebrews. Uh, let me say that again. The fire was not for the Hebrews. It was for the king and the watching world. Through the fiery furnace, God's person and God's power were to be revealed in a way never seen before. It was God's purpose to use the presence of captive Israel in Babylon to bless all the other heathen nations with the truth of God. Neb planned that the rulers of the providences would return home extolling the grandeur of Babylon and the power and the majesty which he had. Instead, the diplomats and the tribal leaders went to their home countries talking about and praising Almighty God. After the three Hebrews were thrown into the furnace, the king expected to hear the screams and the vile curses but he heard nothing but the crackle of footsteps. As the smoke cleared, Neb peered into the fiery furnace and he observed the three Hebrew boys calmly walking around in the fire. They were getting their steps in. <laughs> Free from the bonds that had bound them. And miraculously, he saw another being standing like Daniel, a fourth party that had joined them in the fire. <laughs> Amen. You know what? God will join us in the fire when we stand. I don't know that the three Hebrews boys prayed for God to come and be with them in the fire, but he showed up in the fire. And the king looked in and he said, what is going on? There's a fourth party in the fire. To Neb, this fourth party resembled the son of God. In Daniel verse chapter 3, 26, Nebuchadnezzar cries out, servants of the Most High God, come out. It's interesting that the ruler who commanded them to be thrown into the fire could not bring them out of the fire. The, the only ruler who could bring them out of the fire was the ruler who kept them safe in the fire. Jesus stood with the three Hebrew boys when they took their stand like Daniel before the image. Jesus stood with them when they made their stand like Daniel before the royal court. Jesus stood with them as they stood like Daniel and were condemned to death. Jesus stood with them when they made their stand like Daniel in the fiery furnace. But when they came out of the fire, Jesus was no longer visible to them. Have you ever wondered why? Neb knew about God, but he didn't know God. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were ordained to reveal the person, the plans, and the purposes of God to him. God most often uses human witnesses to reveal his will. 
to reveal his will to kings and monarchs. As I prepare my appeal, that's why Jesus came to earth. Yeah? Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father to sinful mankind. Jesus came as a human witness, speaking the truth of God to the powers that be. Jesus stood like Daniel before the religious leaders of his day and eventually Pilate, who condemned him to death. He died for the sins of you and me and all mankind, and through his death, we can live eternally. Can you say amen? If we accept his love and his power in our lives. God chooses and uses those who trust him enough to stand like Daniel. To stand for truth, to stand for equity. Don't look at the circumstance. Don't worry about those who might misunderstand your stance. Stand like Daniel. There's a quotation from the writings of Ellen White. It says, Prophets and Kings, page 512 and forward, important lessons are to be learned from the experience of the Hebrew youth on the plain of Dura. God's people must make it manifest that he is the only object of worship. As in the days of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so in the closing period of Earth's history, the Lord will work mightily in behalf of those who stand steadfastly for the right. I don't know how Daniel stood, but I know how he stood. He stood through the power of Almighty God. Don't you want to stand like Daniel? We used to sing an old song, we don't sing it anymore. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Some of you remember that song? Dare to have a purpose true and dare to, to make it known. Absolutely. There are two takeaways that I leave with you. Courage to stand like Daniel is developed through a personal, daily relationship with God. If you receive that, would you say amen? Daily personal relationship. It takes incremental daily exercise. You kneel and then you stand. And then you stand and then you kneel. Standing, kneeling. Kneeling, standing. That's how we build up our faith and our courage. And then secondly, human power unchecked always leads to domination and coercion of God-given power of choice. Therefore, there is and always will be a need for someone to stand like Daniel. Stand like Daniel.